The following audio is from Fathom Church in downtown Littleton, Colorado. More information about Fathom can be found at fathomchurch.org. All right. Good morning, church. Good to see you all this morning. My name is Chris Martin. I'm the lead pastor here. If I didn't get a chance to meet you, glad that you're with us this morning. Uh, If you have your Bibles, and I hope you do, would you grab them, open them up to 1 Peter chapter 1. Uh, We are in our our study of First Peter through this fall, and so I want you to get used to opening up your Bibles to the correct place. First Peter chapter one uh, can be found in those hardback black Bibles that are under every chair. Those are on page one thousand and fourteen. Uh, if you're online with us, welcome. Uh, you can find it, click it. Find, I mean, glow. I don't care. Right? Paper. I love the paper. I think paper's better. Uh, I think that we will all at one day have, you know, tumors growing out of our shoulders because of our phone use. So just go, go ahead and open up a book, okay? It's good for you. First uh, Peter chapter one has started like this. This is our third week in First Peter chapter one. We're gonna finish this chapter today, but it's gone like this so far. Peter is the guy who wrote it, and Peter is writing to scattered and persecuted churches kind of all over the ancient Greco-Roman world, and he's reminding those Christians that they're exiles. He's reminding them that that while they live in the Roman Empire, uh, they aren't actually, that's not their primary citizenship. Their citizenship is actually in heaven, in a different place. Uh, But they, uh, because the message is uh, that this world is not their home, they have a different set of values, a different way to live, and a different hope. Ultimately, their hope is in uh, their salvation. And it's a future hope for them ultimately in heaven, in their true citizenship. And so last week uh, we talked about kind of how we as Christians are supposed to be exiles. And I, and I just told you on repeat, we're, we're called to be different. We're called to be cut away, cut apart, set apart, holy, different than everyone else around us who's not a Christian. And today, Peter's gonna pick up on a similar metaphor that he has used in chapter one. He's used it a couple of times, and it's the metaphor of being born again. Peter is going to use this metaphor of being born again. This is a common metaphor in the New Testament for salvation. And actually, it's a common one that we still use in evangelicalism. Like, when did you get born again? Are you a born again Christian? Well, that comes from the Bible, and, and Peter really picks up on it in this chapter. Uh, Peter today is going to lay out how you know that you've been born again. Like how you actually know that you've been born again because he's gonna point out the results of this new birth. That's what we're gonna see in our text. Uh, The text today shows you how you know if you've actually been born again and really what to keep doing because you have been born again. Now, uh, there are many new people in our church over the last year, even the last few months, that I just wanna tell you a little bit more about me. If you're friends of mine, you've been around for a while, this will be repeat, but just for our new folks, um, I wasn't raised in the church, okay? I didn't grow up uh, going to church, going to Sunday school, doing these things. Uh, And so I wanna ask the question of my story, when, when was I born again? Like when, when was Chris Martin born again? So when I was a kid, um, every once in a while, we would, we would go to church. Like every once, we would say we were Christians, but we didn't really know what that meant as a family. We were as Christian as we weren't Buddhist. Is that, 
Does that help? That makes a little bit of sense contextually, okay? But every once in a while, it seemed like my mom would have a little bit of this, like, her Roman Catholic guilt upbringing kind of show up in her heart, and, 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 and she needed a morning off from the kids or was feeling really guilty maybe because of my grandmother, or, or maybe, listen, she just didn't want her kids to grow up immoral or something like, like selling drugs or, like, murder her in her sleep or something like that. And so, so what happened is she would, every once in a while, drag me reluctantly and drop me off at Sunday school at our local United Methodist Church. Just drop us off. I found out years later, she wasn't even going to church. She was going to Target. <laughs> so I felt betrayed. I felt betrayed in that, okay? Um, but, but, but listen, I hated going to Sunday school. I mean, I hated it. And here's why. Because it was foreign to me. I wasn't raised in it. And so it didn't make any sense to me. I didn't know any of the kids there. They didn't know me. I didn't know them. I didn't want to know them. All right. Just honest. Okay. Uh, I didn't know any of the stories. They're telling all these Bible stories and I had never heard of them. Okay. All of the songs had some sort of catch that I didn't get. Like I didn't know about the wee little man up in a tree. We're singing about it. Like, and everything had hand motions and I didn't know any of the hand motions. And so it was just strange. Okay. At this Sunday school I went to, they did a thing called sword drills. You know what sword drill is? Okay. A sword drill is uh, a race to see who could find a book of the Bible the fastest. Like in a, in a Sunday school, it's like, it's like, okay, find Hebrews chapter 11, go. And it was like a sword drill, find Hebrews chapter 11. Nothing like a bunch of second graders having anxiety attacks, trying to find things in the Bible, right? Like, oh my gosh, how do you spell Habakkuk quick, right? And then, and then I'm the kid who has to, like I'm the idiot who has to go, all right, I better find the table of contents. Okay, Hebrews, like that's, that was me. I felt like a, a dummy going to these sword drills. Never could win them. Um, but I'm sure at some point, at some point in these Sunday school experiences, I probably prayed the prayer to ask Jesus into my heart. So is that when I was born again? Um, on the block that I grew up on, in my neighborhood, there was one Christian family that I was aware of. One Christian family. We were friends with the kids there. Um, and they invited me to go with them to their church to a program called Awanas. Okay, Awanas. Uh, now, Awanas, if you're unfamiliar, it's like Christian Cub Scouts. That's uh, the best way I can kind of frame it. It's, it's a Christian Cub Scouts. They have, they have vests in Awanas with little crowns, like pinned with crowns, and you would earn jewels for your crown. That was Awanas. You'd put jewels in your crown on your vest. So it's like militant little Christian kids decked out like Patton. That's what you get in, in, in Awanas. And it's not, I'm not judging it, okay? Because it's actually like a legit program for children to learn the Bible, okay? But I remember going a couple of times to Awanas with my neighbors, and all the other kids there had vests just like decked out with all these badges and pins and jewels. And I had nothing. Like I was just the kid there with a blank red vest. Okay, it was like a bizarro Walmart. Like that's who I was. Just red vest, nothing on it. Uh, and, I, and I wanted some, I wanted some vest bling. Like I wanted to, to have something to put on my vest at Awana. And, and so the one pin that I felt like was attainable was the salvation pin. Okay, there was a salvation pin that you could get. To get this pin, you had to get saved. You had to be born again, which meant all I had to do was, was pray the sinner's prayer with the Awana leader, and I got the salvation pin and a Butterfinger, okay? Like double, okay? It's like a bonus added on to it. 
So I did it, man. I prayed the prayer. I got the pin. And then I did about two or three more weeks in Awana and I was out. I was gone. Never went back. Uh, I, I wish I had the vest. I, if only I had the vest still. Um, but was that when I was born again? Then I uh, get into middle school. When I was eighth grade. I got invited to go to a youth group with a friend of mine. I liked it. Uh, I kept going back to this youth group and this group, uh, I, I went on retreats with this group. I went to camp with this group. I went on mission trips with this group and I prayed the prayer to give my life to Christ. So many times in this group, I don't even know how many, like I lost count, right? Like every single youth camp. You've, I mean, how many of you have had this experience? You've gone to youth camp and you're all hopped up on, you know, pixie sticks and Mountain Dew, right? Like cumulatively three hours of sleep over the course of the whole weekend, right? And so at that point, you're so wired that you would, you dedicate your life to a Christmas tree. They bring a Christmas tree. You're like, all right, I'm in, right? Like that's how, you know, hopped up you are at that point. I probably gave my life to Jesus a dozen times at these youth camps just to make sure it was like, like it stuck, like it took, okay? So the question I'm, I, I've had to wrestle with is when was I born again? Like, when did this happen? Was it, was it when I prayed the prayer in Sunday school? Was it, was it at Awana's when I got the Butterfinger? Like, is that when it took? Like, like, was it at one particular youth camp as opposed to all of, like, when did it happen? When did it, ha- it must've happened at some point because I'm here, like I'm a pastor now. Like, I, like by, by age 16, I was like, I believe in Jesus. I just don't know exactly how to pinpoint when it happened. And you see, sometimes it's tough. It's tough to pinpoint exactly when you were born again. Some of you know exactly the moment, the day, the time. You've got it like stenciled on your arm. You know, I don't know, what, like whatever it is, like you've got it figured out. But, but sometimes it's harder than that. And Peter, Peter makes it clear today. Hey, you wanna know when you were born again? You wanna know? Here's how you know. If you are truly born again, there's gonna be results. There's gonna be results in your life and the results are that you will grow up. If you wanna know if you've been born again, you need to look at your growing up as evidence that it has occurred. That's how you know. So just so that we're clear about this metaphor, okay? The result of being born again is a baby. That's the metaphor, okay, a baby, okay, babies. That, when you get born again, you are a spiritual baby and babies grow up. Like, I, I mean, I went to public school and I know this, okay? Babies grow up, just, just to be clear, okay? We need to know this. Therefore, once you get saved, once you are born again, you should experience growth, like significant spiritual growth. And I'm not being hyperbolic there. Like it should be, your spiritual growth should be at least, if not more than the difference between a newborn baby and a fully grown adult. That's the metaphor. Your growth should be enormous from infancy to maturity spiritually. When you are born again, you start this journey that you will grow into spiritual maturity far beyond you could ever, uh, what you could ever comprehend. Bigger than that. So how do you know if you've been born again? You grow up. That's my premise for this morning. Now note, before we jump into this, you don't need to grow up in order to be born again. Don't get these mixed up. Jesus doesn't say, hey, if you want to be born again, clean some stuff up in your life. Like grow up a little bit and then you can get born again. No, 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 no. That's not how the gospel works. The gospel says, hey, you're a mess. 
get born again, and then you start to grow. Salvation comes first, and then sanctification follows. We're gonna see this in our text today, all right? I've got three marks for spiritual growth for us. Let's look at the text together. First Peter, we're gonna pick it up in verse 22. We've only got four verses today. It's gonna be incredible. Verse 22. Having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart. Since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and abiding word of God. Okay. In those two verses, we find all three of my points today. All three of my points about what it looks like to be born again are found in those two verses. And note the relationship between verse 22 and 23 right off the bat, okay? What is true of us in 22 is true because of 23. Look at the very beginning of 23. It says, since you have been born again. So essentially that says, because you have been born again, all that I said right before that is true. So all that is found in, in verse 22 is true because you have been born again, since you have been born again. And so what did 22 say is true about you? Well, the first thing, the first mark of growing up, it says, having purified your souls. So I'll put it like this. Spiritual growth is internal. Having purified your souls, it's an internal purification. Now, uh, you have purified your souls. If you were to read it in the Greek, souls, the Greek word for souls there is the Greek word psyche. It's where we get our word psychology. Okay, it's this internal word. It's this, it's this internal place. What Peter is talking about, he's talking about your spiritual center. Your spiritual core is where you need to be purified, the internal place. What Peter is saying is being born again is inherently internal. It's, it's, it's a transformation at your center, at your core, at the soul level. That's internal. And so it's critical that you understand that if you're going to understand Christianity at all. If you're going to understand following Jesus, you have to be seen, you have to see that being born again is intrinsically internal. Because there's, there's lots of different ways to grow things. A couple that come to mind, okay? Uh, there are two ways you can see things grow. Uh, there is a mechanical, external way to grow something. And then there's a more organic internal way to grow something. And Keller uses this illustration uh, when he teaches on this. He says, if, if you have a pile of bricks, pile of bricks, and, uh, and you throw more bricks on that pile, we would call that growing the pile of bricks. You can throw more bricks. You can, you can grow that pile up. It is increasing. It is growing, but it is not organic, right? It's mechanical, it's not internal growth, it's external growth. It is still growing. It's heaping more bricks on the pile, but it's a different type of growth. On the other hand, you plant a seed in the ground. Like you plant a bulb, a flower bulb, a tulip bulb in your garden. Over the weeks and sometimes months, that, that, that ground over the, that time 
out will come a flower. It's increasing, it's growing, we would say. Uh, That is growing as well, but they are two wildly different versions of growth. Both we understand, but both are very different. One is external and mechanical heaping up of bricks, while the other is this internal organic growth. See, the difference between external and, and internal spiritual growth is this. With external growth, you can do it without ever changing your insides. Listen, you can do all the Christian things without ever turning the insides into what Jesus wants from you. You can do all of it. Come to church, okay? Read your Bible, like win the sword drills. You can do all that stuff. Okay, you can go to a small group, you can sing the songs, you can lift your hands and worship, you can do good deeds, you can give your money, you can serve. You can do all of that stuff and, and it can be like heaping up bricks. It can be just like piling up bricks. It can be mechanical, it can be external, no internal change needed. But Peter's saying, have you purified your soul? That's weird language for us, but that's what he's, he's asking us Has something happened inside of you? Have you actually become a new person? Has there been an internal core transformation? I mean, gosh, we say it all the time here at Fathom, but belief always precedes behavior. You can do behavior. You can get your bricks and start piling them up and make you you look like you're growing. But in in gospel Christianity, belief always precedes behavior. The Bible is constantly trying to show us the difference between external behavior modification, which is the game that many Christians play, and internal spiritual growth. And they're different. And so I don't want us to miss that. I don't want us to forget that because the, the metaphor of being born again is intrinsically an organic internal thing. Because when you, when you become a Christian, like, like we said, you're a baby. You're a baby. Okay, when you are born again, you start out as a spiritual baby. I don't care how smart you are. I don't care what your IQ is. I don't care how many degrees you have on the wall. I don't care how, how old you are. You can be 70, get born again, and you're still a spiritual baby, just like a seven-year-old who gets born again. They are a spiritual baby as well. It doesn't matter how smart, how accomplished, how successful you are. You all start as babies when you become a Christian. And, it, and then you start to grow. You start to grow up. And it's this process. It's this gradual process of growth. Just like the flower, it takes time. It takes uh, nutrients. It takes lots of different things, but it it takes time. It doesn't happen all at once. Nobody gets born again as a fully formed, mature Christian. Just like nobody is birthing a fully developed human being. Yikes, right? What's that movie, Benjamin Button? That's creepy, yo. Freaking me out, all right? So I've been a Christian for, I've been a Christian now for more than 20 years. Some of you got me beat, some of you I got nailed, okay? But 20 years, here's the truth that I've experienced. Most of my growth has been really almost unbearably slow. It's just, it feels sometimes like I'm just creeping along at this thing. Now, now hear me, there have been seasons that I've experienced where it's felt like a growth spurt. Like I've had seasons where it's like, oh man, I can't believe, like the Lord is doing something and it's just kind of like this, it feels like a growth spurt to me. But most of the time it, it feels 
sometimes excruciatingly slow. Anyone else have this experience where you're just like, God, I mean, you look at yourself and you're like, gosh, I, I thought I'd be further along by now. You look at yourself and you're like, how many decades have I been struggling with some of this stuff? When, when is it gonna just kind of take? And I just want you to remember the metaphor. It's not just bricks. It's growth. It's organic. It's internal. And this can be hard to accept. Uh, now hear me, especially if you're newer in your faith, it can be sometimes difficult to accept that this stuff takes time. Hear me, it takes a lifetime to grow like this. Growing up is internal. Okay, the next mark, the second mark of spiritual growth is this. Spiritual growth is obedient. It's obedient. Okay, that's what Peter says. He says this, look in verse 22. Having purified your souls by what? By your obedience to the truth. Now, what's going on there? Because right, Peter, you just, you just told us in point one that this was a soul thing, an internal thing. But now you're saying that internal thing is accomplished by external things, like by behavior, by obedience. Like, what do you mean? Is this, are you nonsensical, Peter? Like, are you, what, what's going on here? You reverting back to fishermen instead of like apostle? What's going on? This doesn't make sense. <clears throat> sounds like external to me. Obedience sounds like an external thing to me. Well, listen, part of how we are transformed internally is by ongoingly growing in our transformation externally. So we need to work on this one, okay? The only reason... The only reason why Peter and others in the Bible would have to constantly command their people to be obedient is if there was a really good chance or possibility or temptation to disobedience. Like the only reason why you'd have to command somebody to obey is if there's a good chance they ain't gonna. That's why I tell my daughter, hey, obey, sweetie, obey me. Because here's what I know. As soon as I'm not looking, she's like, candy, right? Like that's... A monster. And hear me, that's us. Especially when, especially when we're babies, when we're younger. The temptation to disobedience is real. And, and, and follow me on this. Did you know that obeying the truth comes with a temptation to, to stray from it? <laughs> Did you know that obeying Christ actually comes with a temptation to to not, to disobey. I mean, this is why God says on repeat, you need to be obedience. Also, did you know that humans, human beings, we, we're the only part of God's creation that doesn't do exactly what God tells us the first time? I had never had that thought until this week. I mean, I blew my own mind with that thought, okay? We're the only part of God's creation that doesn't do exactly what he tells us the exact moment that he tells us to. Everybody else does. Everything else in the whole of creation does. God says, let there be light. It's not like, meh, how about tomorrow? No, it's not, the light doesn't respond. Just, it happens. Perfect obedience. He tells, Jesus tells the wind and the waters to be stilled and immediately. Perfect obedience from his creation. Even demons obey his word. 
Ain't no demon being cast out that's like arguing with him. Man, man, no, no, you just, it's just like getting the pigs, right? Like that's just what he does. Every part of his creation perfectly obeys him immediately, the first time, except us, except me. And I'm a slow learner. So sometimes it takes like 12 or 13 times bloodied on the concrete to figure out that I'm in need of obedience. See, some of us, didn't realize this when we signed up for Jesus. I mean, honestly, I didn't know know exactly what I was signing up for at some level when it came to this. See, I thought that I thought that I give my life to Jesus and like stuff gets going. Like like stuff is just straight and narrow. Like I heard Matthew chapter seven preach and I was like, okay, there's a good path, there's a bad path. There's a narrow path, there's a wide path. I should get on the narrow one and that'll take me to heaven. What I didn't realize is that narrow path, not only getting on is hard, but staying on it's hard. It's not this straight line. See, growing up is actually more akin to trying to hit a curveball. I don't know if you played baseball or know anything about baseball, but a curveball is a lot harder to hit for some because it's moving all over the place. And I think growing up is that way. Growing up in, in your spirit, in your heart, in your soul, it's like it, there's curves. It looks like it's coming at you straight, but then it falls off. Okay, there's these speed changes and you're whiffing and you're missing. It's full of that. That's, that's what growing up looks like. And that's why the command to obedience is so paramount. See, um, in growing up, listen, there is behavioral modification. It's just not only behavioral modification. Do you follow me on that? Like I said earlier, it's this internal thing. It's this internal thing. It's not about just heaping up bricks. But in following Jesus, there is some behavior work that you're going to do. There's some modifications to how you live. Just not only that. And actually, that follows the internal, okay? But, but people I often meet with, they freak out. Like they freak out in their spirits, the first sign of trouble in their faith walk. Like something goes wrong, a curve happens. Like they, they whiff, they mess up or get hit by a pitch or, you know, the metaphor can keep going deeper and deeper, but something happens and, and, and they freak out. And sometimes they even walk away from Jesus entirely. Hey, this isn't what I signed up for. I signed up for nice, easy lobs that I can just hit out of the park. And that's just not how it plays. See, sometimes I think we, we expect our faith life to be like an escalator, an escalator, okay? Uh, let me ask you, when you ride an escalator, uh, do you just stand there? Do you stand there or do you walk up the escalator? Uh, I won't judge you, okay? Um, but I want you to write this down in your notes, if you're a note taker, which puts you in a better position in heaven, I think. So uh, take a look at this, write this down. Stand right, walk left, okay? That's, that's gospel truth, okay? That's gospel truth on the escalator. Uh, just like when you drive, stand to the right, walk to the left, do it, okay? Like at DIA, when next time you fly somewhere, go to DIA, and those moving walkways, you've been there with those moving walkways, have you ever noticed the people who just stand there? Just standing there, like on the left, whole heap of people backing up behind them with their rolly bags trying to make their flights. And they're just like standing, like looking, like looking around. This isn't a ride. You're not at Elitch's. This isn't a ride, okay? 
Okay, just, just get over to the side. Like, move out of the way. What are you looking at? I don't even know what there is to see here. More people? Like, that's what you're doing. Watch next time. Okay, watch those people next time. Observe them, because they're the people who at the end of the thing <laughs> stumble, okay? Because they're not paying attention. Because they're not doing, they're just standing there. But that's how many, many of us think that faith actually works. Literally, we think this is how our, our journey with Jesus is supposed to be that we just start following him and for the rest of our life, we just smoothly escalate. We don't have to walk, just hold on to that thing. Maybe don't risk it, okay? But you're just kind of moving on up, nice and easy, up and to the right until you reach glory. And we think that's how it's supposed to work. No effort needed. Just look at me. Just look at me. I'm just riding. I'm born again. You know how you know I'm born again? Because I ain't doing anything. Just standing here. Just standing here, kind of going up and to the right. It's only internal. It doesn't take any energy, any work, any activity. But listen, life shows up and it hits you when you find out, actually, I'm not going anywhere. In actuality, I'm just standing still, not moving forward at all. Actually, I'm just pretending I'm going somewhere. I'm not doing anything. And we talked about this on repeat, in every New Testament book that we've preached at from here at Fathom, and frankly, in the whole of the scriptures, in the whole of the Bible, we've said this, you are saved by grace. We're Protestants. We believe in this. Grace alone, faith alone, Christ alone. We believe these things. You are not saved by your works. This is what we believe. You aren't saved by earning. You aren't saved by your works. And it's true. You are not saved that way. You're not saved by that. But I fear that many of us hear that and we just end up with our faith being like on an escalator. We're just kind of looking around, thinking that someday we're just going to show up, stumble forward, and we're in eternity. Listen, you aren't saved by your obedience but you are absolutely saved to obedience. You aren't saved by your obedience. You are saved to obedience. Peter says, this is an an internal thing. You, You have to purify your souls, but don't misunderstand. You purify your souls by being obedient to the truth, by being obedient to the word. And this journey is full of curves. So you gotta work. You gotta work at it. You gotta obey you, you, you don't obey to earn, okay? Faith does not require earning, but it most certainly requires effort. There's a difference between earning and effort. Don't neglect the latter for the former. Grace is against earning. It is not against effort. And so listen, if you want God to take you deeper, if you wanna grow up, you wanna grow up, it's actually in those curves that you grow. It's actually in those curves, not in the straightaways, not in the, uh, that's not when you grow. It's when you actually put your hand to the plow. In the, in the straightaways, listen, in the straightaways, you don't even need God. You can kind of roll or you can at least convince yourself that you don't need God. Just cruising on that walking sidewalk, looking around as the world passes you by, But spiritual growth, to really be born again, means that you will grow in your obedience. Now, that's the second mark, obedience. The third, 
keep going in verse 22. Having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth, here's the next one, for a sincere brotherly love. Okay. That word for in the Greek can also be translated equally uh, as often into. For or into, those are similar Greek terms. And so it's the third mark of growing up. Spiritual growth, hear me, is relational. Spiritual growth includes a deep love for into the brotherhood, into the brothers, into Christians, into the church. That's a sign of being born again. Listen, if you are truly born again, the text says you will have a sincere love for the brothers and that you will love one another earnestly. He like doubles down on this one. Your love for other Christians will be an evidence that you are truly born again. So let's go back to our our metaphor here, the born again metaphor. I know it's babies. Okay, want to know something about babies? Babies live in families. Did somebody write that down? I'm not hearing any scribbling, okay? (laughs) Babies live in families. Babies, they have to. They have to. Babies have to live in families. They cannot survive on their own. You don't have like an 18-month-old like living in an apartment by themselves, going to King Supers, like, you know, hanging out. No, that's silly. Babies, babies can't survive without families. And neither can born-again Christians. Neither can Christians. And we've s- somehow forgotten that in our, in our day and age. Right? Like, like, like we live in the most highly individualized time in all of human history. Do the work. It's, it, it, that's what the world that we live in is individualistic if there's one word to describe it. And hear me, that leads us astray. That leads Christians astray because we can believe it's just you and Jesus. Gosh, I can't tell you how many people I've had conversations with that are like, hey man, Chris, I, 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 think, I think Jesus is great. Actually, I'm I'm all right with how you preach, okay? I think, but I'm just not really into into the church. Church just isn't really my thing. I'm okay with Jesus, but I just rather go like hike in the mountains with Jesus and not deal with all the people at the church. You know what that's called? Being a baby. I mean, it's immaturity. I'm sorry, that's an immature stance because babies need families, and babies, if they rejected families, listen, they would die. They would shrivel up and die. They would be lifeless. And so we think, ah, we don't need to go to church to be a Christian. I'll just, I'll just podcast. Just podcast my favorite preacher. I'll stream my favorite worship album. I'll go to church maybe every once in a while, just because, you know, I don't, you know, like, like my mom, I don't want to feel bad about myself. So I'll show up every once in a while. I'll check out different places. But listen, we don't, we don't belong to places anymore. Okay, we aren't committed to people like we used to be. This is why Gary mentioned church membership. We believe strongly in this because we think you need a family. Golly, I need a family. And listen to me, church is not just an event that you attend. Or, 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 or this might be actually far more accurate today. Church is not just content that you consume. It, it, it's not just, I like the way that that guy talks. I like the way that that team leads music. I like the way that that group does outreach. I like all, and I'm gonna 
ecclesiastically go to this buffet and get a little bit of that and a little bit of this and a little bit of that. And I'm gonna go back to my table and eat it and be like, actually, that's pretty gross. Because that's what buffets are. They're gross. (laughs) Thank you. Man, I felt like I was getting somewhere with somebody, right? Church is not just content that you put on your plate and, and then you're done. It's a community. It's relationships. It's people. It's your family. And if you're truly born again, it will lead to relationships, a genuine love for your brothers and sisters. Now, as, think, as I was thinking about that to, uh, this week, I, I thought about this book, C.S. Lewis, The Screwtape Letters. Have you read this? It's very good. Uh, this is a very old copy, which makes it look awesomer than all of yours, okay? Just so you know. Um, Screwtape Letters. Th- these are, this is what's known as theological fiction, Okay, uh, C.S. Lewis writes this uh, from their letters from a senior demon to a junior demon. It's fascinating. They're fiction, okay, but there's theology woven in this. And, and the senior demon is giving pointers and advice to the junior demon on how to, and this is what he says, how to tempt your patient. So the demon has a patient. That's a you, that's me, that's a human being. And the demon is trying to tempt. And these are the story, the, 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 the letters from Screwtape to this guy named Wormwood. Now, let me read this excerpt from chapter two because I think this is fascinating. I'll put this up on the screen. It's a longer quote, but follow with me because this is really interesting. My dear Wormwood, I note with grave displeasure that your patient has become a Christian. There's no need to despair. Hundreds of these adult converts have been reclaimed. One of our great allies at present is the church itself. When he gets to his pew and looks around him, he sees just that selection of his neighbors whom he has hitherto avoided. You want to lean pretty pretty heavily on those neighbors. Provided that any of those neighbors sing out of tune, or have shoes that squeak, or double chins, or odd clothes, the patient will quite easily believe that their religion must be somehow ridiculous. Never let it come to the surface. Never let him ask what he expects them to look like, or expected them to look like. Work hard then on the disappointment or anticlimax, which is certainly coming to the patient during his first few weeks as a churchman. Now, I know that's fiction, okay? I I mean, I get that. That is not the Bible. But don't you see how relational Lewis makes this? That's the attack that Lewis presents as the first way a demon is gonna go after a born-again Christian, a baby Christian. He's gonna use the church. So I say again, spiritual growth always produces a sincere love for other Christians. It always produces a family. It always produces relationships. So that's what I see in those, actually, it's really only one verse that we really dug into. That's that's what I see there, okay? In those verses, I see, how, how do you know if you've really been born again? Since you've been born again, these things are true. Well, the answer is you're gonna grow up. You're gonna grow up that just like a baby does. Just like a baby, you're going to grow up. And, and, and the three marks that Peter gives is that that growth is internal and it's obedient and it's relational. All three of those pieces. Now, 
Now to close, I do wanna read the last two verses of chapter one because, because what, what Peter does at the very end of chapter one is he, he sums it up by quoting the prophet Isaiah. So look at your text with me at verse 24. He just gave us that whole bit on what it looks like to be born again. And then he says this in, in 24, for all flesh is like grass and all its glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. See what Peter's doing in talking about the old, he's talking about the flower and the grass. He's, he's talking about our lives before we were born again. Before we were born again, our life was like grass, he says. It's short-lived. Okay, it can dry up as the temperature rises. If you don't water enough, you don't fertilize, it's, it's, it can wilt, it can fall apart. It's very fragile. But he says the new birth based on God's word is something that goes on forever. It's something that's eternal. It's something that's powerful. And so here's how I'll, I'll end. I, I'll illustrate like this. When, when, when you have a child, when, when a child is born, Immediately as a parent, you, you see them and you think, oh God, this, this kid is perfect. Even Listen, even if there's issues, that child in your eyes, in your heart is perfect. They're your kid. And you wouldn't change a thing about them, but you want them to grow up. You actually want them to grow up. I mean, for me, one of the most uh, happiest days of my life was when we were uh, in the ultrasound room. Marcy and I were in the ultrasound room. And uh, if you've been there, you know, they like squirt jelly on mama's tummy. Okay, that's just what they do. Uh, and they wand that thing around and there's like a blah, it looks like alien on a screen. Um, but they do that and, they, and, and the, 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 the tech says, you wanna know? We were like, yeah, we wanna know. She goes, congratulations, it's a girl. You're having a girl. And, and now hear, hear me, I, I had a brother, okay? And I have sisters. Actually, don't tell Harper, I kind of wanted a boy. <laughs> I, I was kind of hoping for like baseball and like things. Like I was ready to like do the things with the man, like beards and things. That's what I was looking forward to. Um, and so, so, so I heard this and, and now hear me, in that instant, I didn't think, darn it, I wanted a boy. What did you do, right? Like how do those chromosomes work? <laughs> That's not how that works, okay? Just so you know. Um, but, but no, in that moment, I was like, yes, it's my girl. And I didn't know anything about girls at all. I didn't know what to expect, but instantly in my brain, I was like, she's mine. That's my girl. I'm, she's precious to me. And then the scan goes on and the tech is like, look at her, she's got hair. You could see it on the screen, like this patch of hair, which, which look at me. I mean, no big surprise, okay? The Martins, we are hairy individuals, okay? We, we got lots of hair. So that wasn't the surprise. But on the screen, I'm looking on the screen and it looks like she's got hair all around the back of her head and none on the top. <laughs> and I'm seeing this and I didn't say it out loud, but I'm like, oh no, my little girl's got a skullet. <laughs> swear. That's what my brain went to in that moment. Do you know what a skullet is? A skullet is a mullet with male pattern baldness involved. You know that you follow me on that? Okay. Uh, if you have a skullet, I pray, I pray that someone loves you enough to rebuke you of that. Okay. Um, 
But in that moment, I'm like, Lord Jesus, heal her of this malady, right? Like, like it's not gonna go good for the girl with the skull at middle school. So like fix that in utero, all right? And, uh, and I prayed that. And on the day she was born, listen, she had outgrown the skull. I praised the Lord, like wiped my brow, okay? But I, but I remember like the day she was born, I looked at her. They slide her into that like McDonald's hamburger warmer thing. And they, you know, she's just in there. And I'm looking at her, I'm like, man, she's my girl. I'm her dad. She's my daughter. But listen, it wouldn't be good if she stayed like she was on the day that she was born. It wouldn't. Gosh, there are days when I miss that little skullet freak, you know? I mean, I do. I, I miss her. I miss little Harper. She's getting so big and I miss that. But all good parents want their children to grow up. And you see, over time, as Harper grows into the woman that God has made her to be, we're gonna celebrate those things. We celebrate her growth. It's actually, it's actually a very sad and tragic thing when you see a child or, or even an adult who doesn't grow, who fails to grow up. It's a sign that something is wrong. It's a sign of unhealth. It's a sign that something's broken. And it's a sad thing that we see all too often in American Christianity. Someone gets saved. Someone gets born again, and then they never really grow up. And listen, it's a good thing to celebrate conversions. It's a good thing to celebrate new life and baptisms. Listen, last week we had, we had a person in this church get saved last Sunday. Like you should be pumped on that. Like that's awesome things. And, and we've had a number of new salvations, brand new, new births this year at this church. And praise God for all of that. Praise God for the new birth. And we're gonna get the baptismal out in a couple of weeks. And we're gonna start dunking some people. If you have not been baptized yet, let's go. Let's get you wet. It's your first step of obedience as a Christian. It's how you start to grow up is you get baptized. It's gonna be awesome. We'll do that. But, but, but hear me, at Fathom Church, we wanna be a place that's serious about both sections of this. We wanna be serious about people discovering Jesus, meeting Jesus, bowing the knee, being born again. But then listen, then we got a whole herd of babies. And babies take a lot of time, a lot of energy, a lot of effort. They make messes. They can't clean up after themselves. They can't feed themselves. They're, they're a, a drain on the system. If you're a new parent, you say amen. Your kid's in nursery as soon as possible because you're like, I just need an hour, right? Like that's, that's how that works. But we want to be passionate about people discovering Jesus and people going deeper, growing up as disciples. Listen, if you're here for, for long, you'll hear this. We want you to change. We want you to grow. We want you to mature. And you have to ask yourself this, am I? Have I grown up? Am I growing up? Am I continuing to grow up or have I stalled out? Do I even want to? You wanna know if you've really been born again, ask yourself, Am I growing up? Chapter two starts next week. Let's pray. Lord, we bless you. What a good, good message. What a good verse, couple of verses here. Thank you uh, for your servant, Peter, and the way that he just packs so much into these verses. And Lord, I pray, uh, I pray for my friends here today. Many of them are already born again. 
Many are, but I, Lord, would be remiss if I didn't pray that there might be someone in here who has not yet bowed the knee to you. And I would pray, Holy Spirit, you'd be, you'd be calling to them. You'd be wooing them. You'd be, you'd be uh, drawing them near to you and that they might bow the knee to you and be born again today. And they might join this family. But Lord, for those who already are born again, I pray for some sobering self-reflection around our own spiritual growth. Are we growing up? God, are there areas in our lives where we've been heaping bricks rather than trusting in internal growth? Are there areas now, Lord, that because of the internal growth, we've rejected the behavior stuff? And Lord, you're actually saying, you gotta find the balance between both. Or Father, have we kind of strayed from the relational community that you call us into, the love for the brothers and sisters in Christ? Holy Spirit, would you preach to us? You are the true preacher of Fathom Church. Preach to our hearts. Show us the ways that we are in error and help us to correct them. Lord, you're against earning, but you're not against effort. And so I pray, Father, for a church that's fully pursuing maturing. Maturity, deepening, going deep together. So God, we love you. Thank you for this text. We pray that the information moves south into our hearts towards transformation. And we pray all these things in the name of Jesus and by the power of the Spirit.